It's awesome to be here. As Ellie said, my name is Jono. If we haven't met yet, uh, beautiful to meet you. You're looking great, looking fantastic. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking good today. Why did you, did you eat some, uh, something to make you look extra good for dinner? That's how it works. But um, we, we've been talking a little bit um, over the last, last couple of weeks about what does church look like. If you were here uh, last Sunday night, Jordan preached an awesome message about uh, this idea of royal priests and living stones. Does anyone remember that? Yeah, he did some stuff over there with like an extension cord. It was a good message, right? If you, if you missed it, make sure you jump on SoundCloud and have a listen because uh, it's, it's something you don't want to miss out on. Also, uh, just as a brief note, does anyone here have a smartphone? Smartphone or a, um, they call it a phablet. It's like a smart tablet thing. I don't know. A, a bigger phone, a phone that's big. That, yep, one of those as well. But if you have one of those, uh, make sure you download the Equippers Church app because you can actually listen to all of the messages on that app. It's in the app, so that's pretty, uh, pretty handy for you. Make sure you download that. It'll tell you what's coming, um, what's happening, where we are, that kind of thing. So it's a, it's a handy app to download. It's just in the App Store or the Google Play Store, depending on how cool you are. Obviously, yeah, Apple products are cooler, but, you know, whatever. Um, but <laughs> I was just thinking, as I said that, that I think whoever's on sound is like a Google supporter. Quite funny if they muted me as I was talking. But um, make sure you download that. It is very cool. But I want to go back, and I want to look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, right after what Jordan preached from uh, last Sunday night. And, and so we're going to go there. We're going to start there. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, I'm going to read to you. We might have it on the back screen. Do we? Look at that. Boom. See that? I threw it again. I'm really good at that. Uh, it's just magic. It's just magic. But it says this, right? Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. Then they'll be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when he arrives. I just want to pull out one little phrase in there and look at it for a little bit. It, it says, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life. Has anyone ever, ever thought, man, do you know what I'm really good at? Do you know what I can do without, without breaking a sweat? 200 push-ups. No, I'm just joking. I can obviously do that. But, you know, no judgment if you can't. Has anyone ever thought, man, an exemplary life? I can do that. A life that's, that's perfect, a life that people look at and, and they just envy me for it. Man, do you know what? I, I, just, I just realized I never make mistakes. You know, I, I don't think I've made a mistake my entire life. I don't think I've ever stubbed my toe and swore. I don't think I ever, you know, got angry at someone. I definitely never had road rage. I never lied, never told a white lie. Live an exemplary life, right? I don't know about you, but, but when I read that, it sounds kind of hard. Just, just here, just quick show of hands. Is anyone here, um, you know, pretty, pretty confident in saying that they're living an exemplary life? Just raise your hand. You know, you can if you want. No? Yeah, we've got one over there. Awesome. So we've got an alien with us. Just uh, make sure you ask them what planet they're from. Because it's good to have you here with us, you know. Like, we appreciate, we appreciate having uh, extraterrestrials who are not bound by, by just, just mere mortal mortality. But that, that's good, right? In fact, if you struggle with living an exemplary life, I have good news for you. It, it just means that you're probably human. Right? It's, it's kind of hard to think, man, live an exemplary life. And yet here, Peter is, and he's saying, hey, do you know what you need to do? Live an exemplary life. L live a perfect life. Live a life without blemish, without blame. That's what you need to do so you stand out to the rest of the world. I don't know about you, but if that's what the church is meant to be, I, I'm a little bit worried. 
Because I don't know about you, but I'm not living an exemplary life. I'm not, I'm not managing to pull this off. See, and I think it's for this reason that, that so many Christians have, have this, this doomsday mentality. See, what I mean by that is, is that they're so worried about their life now that all they're thinking about is the end. You know, I don't know if you've met these Christians, but they're really just not happy with here and now. They're not happy with life. They're not happy with how things are going, and, and they're really just hoping that they'll die soon. They're really just hoping that, that man, I really hope the world ends any minute now because I, this is just dumb. This is hard. I don't know if you've met anyone like that. I know that I have. They're not interested in the now. They're just interested in the then. For them, the gospel doesn't mean life now. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything now. It just means something later on. See, Jordan mentioned this two weeks ago. He was talking about how the disciples were kind of like this, how Jesus was talking to them, and they were like, Jesus, is it, is it now? Is then now? Is the breakthrough now? Is, is life going to change now? Are things going to get easier now? Because we can't live an exemplary life. This is tough. Jesus, can you just can you wrap it up? Can you blow the whistle? Can the game end? Can, can it just halt? The end of the movie, where is it, Jesus? Because we need something to change. See, but, but Jesus, they're holding out for a moment. They're holding out for, for a moment when Jesus is going to rise up and overthrow the Romans. That He'll bring them what they're hoping for. But Jesus doesn't do that. Right? And so, so, so where does that leave us? If we're in this space where, where Jesus hasn't yet brought the kingdom of heaven to earth, the thing that we're waiting for, the moment that we're waiting for hasn't yet happened. How can we as a church live exemplary lives showing the world God? How can we avoid being doomsday bunker Christians who, who don't want to reach out to the world, who don't want to try and live exemplary lives because they know that they can't, and so they just wait for it all to end? See, this morning, uh, this morning, it's actually the evening in case you're wondering. Tonight, I want to look at two statements that Jesus made. The first statement that he made was, I am the resurrection and the life. And the second statement that he made is, I am the bread of life. Because I believe that there's something here that shows us what it might look like to actually live an exemplary life. That maybe it doesn't mean what we think it means. Maybe it doesn't mean being perfect. Maybe it doesn't mean having everything lined up. Maybe it means something different. And maybe it's attainable. Is that all right? Very cool. Why don't you bow your heads with me? We're going to pray and then we're going to get started. God, I thank you that we get to come here tonight that we get to meet together and to lift up your name. God, I pray that, that as we're here, that you would multiply what's inside of us. That if we came in excited about what you're doing, that we would leave so much more excited. If we came in uh, worrying, that we would leave with that worry dispelled. If we came in just feeling tired, that you would give us energy. If we came in uh, yeah, just bogged down and stuff, God, that you would free us and that we would walk out with your life in us. God, we don't want to just come here because it's a great place to hang out with people. We want to meet you. Yeah. We want to go from here different, changed, with our hearts transformed. I pray that as I speak, that you take what I say and you use it for your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Very cool. It's all right to be responsive tonight, eh? Can I get like a, yeah, yeah. Okay, that was, that was a little bit embarrassing. But uh, can you, do you want to do it one more time? Do you want me to count you? I can count you if you want. I'm pretty good. I look quite a bit like a male cheerleader, so I'm pretty good at cheerleading, right? So if you, on the count of three, and I'll do like a, I won't. I won't do that at all. Right, I would just pull out my hip. Right, Berea, I want you to say yeah with me. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah. Oh, that was good. You guys are good. You guys are good. Uh, I'm going to go to John chapter 11. Right, John chapter 11 is where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. We're going to go there in just a minute. Before we do some context, who likes context? 
I like context because otherwise people tell you things and, and you think it's like an insult, but it's not. I was kind of thinking of a joke then, but I couldn't. That didn't work. But very good. It says this uh, in John chapter 11. Here's what's happening. Jesus has a friend. His friend's name is Lazarus. Lazarus gets sick and Lazarus dies. Right, Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick and says, don't worry, I'll go there, I'll pray for him, it'll all be all right. Then he waits where he is for a couple more days, which is a weird thing to do if someone rang you up and they were like, hey, uh, my friend's having a heart attack. And you replied, oh man, that's really bad, I'll be there in two days, it's not really going to help. Right, and so, so he's, he's like, oh man, he's sick, I'm going to go pray for him, I'll help him. And then he waits two days, he shows up and everyone's a little bit mad with him because uh, Lazarus died and he kind of said he was going to be there to heal him. And, and, and so he's there, and, and everyone's kind of mad that Lazarus is dead. In fact, Lazarus has been dead for four days, right? So he's not sleeping. It's not a coma. It says in the Bible, he starts to stinketh, okay? He's dead. And this is what happens. We're picking up in John chapter 11, verse 21. It says this, Martha, that's Lazarus's sister, said, Master, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know whatever you ask God, he will give you. Jesus replied, your brother will be raised up. Martha replied, I know that he will be raised up in the resurrection at the end of times. See, what's going on here is Martha is quoting back to Jesus something that he said. Jesus has been preaching about the fact that life doesn't end after death, that it's not a shadowy eternity, it's, it's not a long slumber like some of the Jewish tradition believe, but that, that there is life after death, that there is a resurrection, right? So she's saying that back to him. She's saying, Jesus, I believe you, I get it. I know that even though we lose him now, we'll see him later. Right, she's in this place that so many of us can be with Christianity. She's in this place of saying, it's, it's a fix at the end. My, my faith is a, it's a get out of jail free card. I get into heaven. Things get fixed at the end. Life now, it sucks. But I understand that at the end, I, I, I get to go somewhere, right? Which is good, but it's utterly unpractical for right now, right? It doesn't change here and now at all. And except for how you're behaving, which is important, but really it's just, it's life after death, right? And so she's saying this to, to Jesus, and Jesus replies, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? See, Jesus is saying here, you don't need to wait for some day to have life. You don't need to wait for some day to find life. Do you believe in me? And then, just in case you're wondering, like, what happened to Lazarus? Then in, in verse 43 to 44, it says this. Then he, this is Jesus, shouted, Lazarus, come out. And out he came, a cadaver wrapped head to toe and with a handkerchief over his face. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose. See, why does Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life? See, I don't know about you, but... But is that not the same thing? That would be like me saying to you, hello and welcome. Would you like a sandwich and two pieces of bread with some filling in between? Do you feel like a drink or a beverage? Right, it's, it's a weird, it's, it's like a, it's, he's saying the same thing twice, which is something that Jesus doesn't really do. He's pretty articulate, he's pretty good with his words. He doesn't usually just say the same thing twice like that, and especially something this important, if he had kind of just stuttered and said the same thing twice, it probably wouldn't have been preserved throughout thousands of years passed down in the Bible, right? Monks, when they wrote this, every word was important, every word they worried about, every word they considered. And so if it was just something that was just a, 
kind of a mistake or a repetition. It doesn't make sense for it to be there. See, he is saying, if you believe in me, you'll have life. Right? He's saying that, but he's also saying, and you'll never die. See, see, I don't know if you got that tonight. He's saying, if you believe in me, you'll have life and you'll never die, which implies to me that he's talking about two different things. Right, that, that here he's talking about, first of all, resurrection. That if you believe in me, I have defeated death. If you believe in me, you will not die. If you believe in me, you have eternal salvation because the sin that separated you from a father who is perfect, the sin that separated you from a God who is blameless, I take upon myself. Right, No longer are you separated by your mistakes because Jesus takes them. And we know this. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is important, and you need to never forget it. But it's not the only thing that Jesus is saying. See, the thing that I think is glossed over here is Jesus is also offering us life now. See, he's not saying to the man, you need to be a doomsday Christian who just waits to die. You need to just wait to die because then things get good. Instead, he's saying this isn't just an entry card into the afterlife. He's offering us resurrection from a life half-lived, from a life of pain. See, it's possible to live a life dead while you're living. It's possible to be dead here and now, to walk around like a zombie, to have your hopes dead, to have your dreams dead, to have your destiny dead, to have everything in you that makes you you, those vital characteristics of who you are, dead within you. And see, maybe Jesus is saying here that life isn't just for after death, life is for right now. That we can live an exemplary life right now if we find our life in Jesus. See, so often people can be waiting for death so that they can finally start living. Waiting, waiting for it to end so that it can finally begin. See, but I think Jesus has more for us than that. Because that's not an exemplary life. A life waiting. A life hoping just to die. Just to get through it just to make it through the day. That's not an exemplary life. There's a story in, in Ezekiel chapter 37 where, where God takes Ezekiel, who's a, he's a prophet of the Old Testament, and he takes him into a valley. And in this valley are a bunch of dry bones, right? A bunch of skeletons. And God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy to them. I want you to speak to them what I'm telling them to do. And, and first of all, Ezekiel speaks to them and tells them to, to stand up, and he tells them to have muscle come upon them. He tells them to have skin come upon them, right? They start to resemble human bodies, these things that were once dead, but, but they're not alive. They're just bodies standing there dead. They're zombies. They're lifeless. See, and then God says to Ezekiel, now prophesy the breath of God into them. See, the breath of God, there's a Hebrew word for it, and it, it's, it's called ruach, can everyone say ruach? Nice. When you're speaking Hebrew, you just want to get as much phlegm on the person in front of you as possible. That's just, and then you know you're speaking it right. So say it one more time. Just maybe cover your neck from the person behind you. Say ruach. Nice. There we go. I felt that. Alistair got me. It was nice. Very refreshing. But ruach means the, the, the wind, the, the breath, the mind, the spirit of God. And ruach is what God breathed into Adam and Eve that made them different from the animals. Right, it's this thing that God imparts into us that sets us apart. It's God's spirit in us because until the breath of God is in us, all we are is just skin and bones. 
All we are is just a zombie, just a body trying to make its way through the world. See, Jesus died and rose again for us, for our souls, and for all of the things that died in us. For all of the things that are dying, our hopes, our dreams, to have the breath of God breathed into them again. That we could not only know resurrection, but that we could also know life now. To live a life so exemplary that it would point people to God, that it would win them over. Imagine a life so full, so remarkable, so overflowing with God's breath that people looked at you and their arguments against God went out the window. Man, theoretically, I don't believe in God. Theoretically, I don't think it makes sense. Man, I've been hurt by the church so much. Man, I don't think that, that my life that's been so full of pain could truly be explained by a God. But yet, when I look at Alistair, and I see the breath of God in him. I see the goodness of God overflowing out of him. His life is so exemplary that my arguments against God's existence don't stand up anymore. See, maybe this is what Peter is talking about, that we can live a life when we find life in God, not just resurrection after death, that points people to God that says, man, there's something more for you right here and now. There's something more for you than what you're seeing. See, maybe this is what a life resurrected looks like. If Jesus isn't talking about life now, if all he brings is resurrection, then think about this. It would have been kinder to leave Lazarus dead, right? Because if, if you find life after death, and that's the only place that life exists, if the only hope we have is that one day we'll die and go to be with Jesus, Lazarus has won the lottery, he punched out early. He didn't have to go through the rest of life. He didn't have to suffer through the drudge and the drudgery like the rest of us. He died. He won. He gets to go to Disneyland early. It would be offensive to him to raise him back. Because why? What's the point? If the only reason for living is to die, it would be kinder to Lazarus to leave him dead. So if Jesus brings him back, there must be something more for us here than just getting through it. If, if Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead, that must mean that life has a purpose, that life has a reason, that Jesus didn't just come to bring life after death. He came to bring life to your, to your heart now. He came to bring you something now, that there is something to bring him back for. If you turn with me to John chapter 6, verse 35, uh, this is where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Turn to your neighbor and say, I enjoy bread. Tell them your favorite type of bread. Maybe a sourdough, a little bit of budget bread, some uh, Vogels. Nice. Nice. Any bread, eh? Bread is a good empty carb. Excuse my sweating. This morning, I uh, sweated a lot. I figured out why I sweat when I preach. A, it's because I move around a lot and, and, and shout. But also, it's because one day, I prayed a prayer, God, let me preach like an African-American, right? And I've noticed there isn't an African-American preacher who does not sweat profusely when they preach. So I'm, um, I'm waiting for the, the dancing and, and like the shouting and stuff. But I got the sweating down now, so we're on the way. Um, maybe it could have started somewhere else, but it didn't. That's fine. But turn with me uh, to John chapter 6, verse 35. Again, let's do some context, right? There's some subtext going on here. Some of you will know that, that, uh, that the people are chasing after Jesus, right? They're chasing after Jesus because they want to make him king. And they want to make him king because he just fed 5,000 people. Now, I, I don't know about you, but um, you might be thinking we all love a good feed, 
But uh, that, that's a little bit of a, you know, overreaction. I don't know about you, but I've, I've never been shouted a feed by someone and then been like, you know what I want to do? Make you my king. Mm. I feel like serving you for the rest of my life because you fed me, um, you know, I've had some good free feeds, I'll admit, but n- probably nothing ever that good. Right, see, but what's going on here is, is, is we need to understand four things just real quick, super quick, I promise. The first thing is that the Jewish people are enslaved by the Romans, right? They are in slavery. They don't have rights. They are enslaved by the Romans. The second thing is that the Jewish people are in a state of mind of waiting for their kingdom to come, the Jewish kingdom to come. See, what's happening is they've been since Solomon waiting In fact, they've been since Solomon under someone else's rule. They've been slaves since Solomon. First of all, they were under Babylonian rule. Then they were under Persian rule. Then they were under Greek rule. And now they're under Roman rule, right? And they're waiting for God's kingdom to come to earth. And this is talked about in Daniel chapter 2, verse 39. Daniel has this this dream and sees this rock destroying a statue. The rock represents the Israelite kingdom. The statue represents the other kingdoms that they've been enslaved in. So they're waiting, God, when are you going to send your Messiah to come and make us the bosses, right? This is what the disciples are waiting for. This is what they're always asking Jesus about. Jesus, do we get to be in charge yet? Jesus, are you going to kick some butt and go Rambo yet? Are you going to kill some Romans? Are you going to overthrow the way things are? We're waiting for this to come. The third thing you need to understand is that the Romans rationed 1,600 calories per Jewish man per day. Right, which is like, why are you telling us that? You need to understand that you probably, if you're a man here, consume on average 2,700 calories per day. So 1,600 is a lot less than that. The reason that the Roman people did this is because if you want to take over a nation, you don't want that nation rising up and, and kicking you out. Right? You want them to stay enslaved, and you do that through two ways. Trust me, I've played a lot of civilization. The first way is uh, you make sure they don't have weapons. Well, that's a good idea. No sharp, pointy objects for the people that you're ruling. First thing. The second thing you do is you don't feed them too much. You want them to be strong enough to do the work that you demand of them, but not strong enough to rise up. And if they're a little bit tired, you'll just employ some slave masters to whip them, and then they'll have to do what you say. Right? And so the Romans are, are making sure there's a maximum amount of food that every Jewish person is allowed to eat. And they're doing that through bread. They'll give the Jewish people a daily bread quota, mainly because you can keep bread a little bit longer than you can keep chicken or fish when you don't have a thing called a fridge, right? And fourth, we need to understand that Jesus has fed the 5,000 people with bread, but not just bread, bread that they ate their full of. And for some people in attendance, this is the first time in their life they've had enough to eat. This is the first time in their life they've eaten a meal and haven't still been hungry afterwards. So here we are in uh, in John chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 22. Read with me. We're going to read a bit. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you comfy? Comfy? Just get a little bit comfy. Get ready. Get ready. Don't get too comfy. If your neighbor's falling asleep, just pinch them a tiny bit. Not enough to draw blood, just enough to wake them up. But we're going to start reading from verse 22. Read along with me. It's going to appear up on the screens. It's already there. It's just how good I am. It says this. The next day, the crowd that was left behind realized that there had only been one boat. 
and that Jesus had gotten into it with his disciples. They had seen them go off without him. By now, the boats from Tiberias had pulled up near where they had eaten the bread blessed by the master. That's the bread that fed the 5,000, right? So when the crowd realized he was gone, that's Jesus, and wasn't coming back, they piled into Tiberias's boats and headed for Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him back across the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, you've come looking for me, not because you saw God in my actions, but because I fed you, filled your stomachs, and for free. Don't waste your energy striving for perishable food like that. Work for the food that sticks with you, food that nourishes your lasting life, food the Son of Man provides. He and what he does are guaranteed by God the Father to last To that they said, well, what do we do then to get in on God's works? How can we get this bread? Jesus said, throw your lot in with the one that God has sent. That kind of commitment gets you in on God's works. They waffled. Brilliant that they used the word waffled there. They waffled. Why don't you give us a clue about who you are? Just a hint of what's going on. When we see what's up, we'll commit ourselves. Show us what you can do. Moses fed our ancestors with bread in the desert. It says so in the scriptures. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus responded, the real significance of that scripture is not that Moses gave you bread from heaven, but that my father right now is offering you bread from heaven, the real bread. The bread of God came down out of heaven and is giving life to the world. They jumped at that. Master, give us this bread now and forever. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The person who aligns with me hungers no more and thirsts no more ever. I have told you this explicitly because even though you have seen me in action, you don't really believe me. See, so here we are. The people are chasing after Jesus, trying to make him king because he can facilitate their rebellion with magic bread. Right? That's what's going on. This is what's happening. And when he says to them, I know why you're here because I fed you, they change their tact a little bit. Right, they start to talk about Moses because before they were just trying to get bread out of Jesus. Now they realize for some reason Jesus doesn't want to give us another free meal. He's probably not going to feed us the whole way to a rebellion. Let's see if we can trick him into doing what we want. Let's talk about Moses. They waffled on. Right, so they say to him, Moses fed our ancestors with bread in the desert. See, what they're talking about here is a thing called manna. And what manna was is, is it was a source of food that would appear on the ground every morning for the Israelite people. Every morning with the dew of the morning would be manna on the ground, and they'd take this manna, and they'd grind it up, and they'd bake cakes with it. And that's how the Israelite people survived being in the desert for so long. Every morning, they'd eat manna, right? And so they're saying to Jesus, maybe you could feed us some manna. Because we're pretty sure on mana we could get by. On mana we might be able to overthrow the Romans. On mana at least we wouldn't be relying on them for our food. Maybe we could go to the desert again. Maybe we could run away. Could you give us some mana? But see, just like Martha did, they're missing the point. See, because what's going on is Jesus didn't come just to bring us life after death. Jesus didn't come just for a revolution, for resurrection, but he didn't come to feed us mana. He didn't come to give us something that would just get us by. See, because it's important to realize that that even though Moses gave the people mana, people still died. People still, still struggled. It was still hard. People just got by. And mana at the time, it was great. Mana at the time was fantastic, but it wasn't anywhere near the bread of life that Jesus is talking about. 
It didn't measure up at all. Jesus is talking about something totally different. See, tonight, are we asking God for something that could help us just get by when God has something for us that could help us thrive? See, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel, right? I'm not preaching if, if you claim it, if you name it, you'll claim it, that, that God will put thousands in your bank account if you just declare it. Because I know that life can be hard, especially when you're Christian. Confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be smooth sailing. It doesn't mean that, that everything's going to be sunny. But there is a way to thrive in life even when things are hard. And maybe it has to do with this, this bread of life. See, because as Christians, we will be sad. We will struggle. But as Christians, we will never want. See, what I'm saying tonight is that as Christians, do we pray for too little? Are we asking for manna when God is offering us bread? Is God walking up to us and saying, I can give you the bread of life, something that takes away your hunger, something that, that cures your thirst, that, that frees you from bondage, that opens up our lives. And we're just saying, oh man, God, do you, do you have any of that mana? God, do you have any of that thing that, that maybe would just get me by? God, God I, I don't want to believe in you for breakthrough, but, but maybe I'll believe in you for getting through just Maybe I'll believe in you for, for, for just getting by. God, I, I know that there's resurrection after life, but I can't believe in you for life right now. Maybe I'll just believe that, that I'll be able to get through life without forgetting about you. Maybe I'll just believe that I'll be able to grin and bear it and, and make it through the 60, 70, 80, 100 years that God's going to give me on this earth, and then I'll just go to heaven and things will be all right. That I'll be able to get through life relatively unscathed. That maybe if I keep to myself, if I don't dream too big, if I control myself, that maybe I won't get hurt. God, do you have any mana? Do you have anything that'll just get me by? See, because so often in life, what, what we are is what we think. Right? See, see what happens is, is thoughts impact our feelings. And, and then those feelings impact on what we do, right? They, they impact on our behavior. So for example... If I was to view myself as a, as a poor and, and struggling student, right, who is always going to, to, to be too busy, who is always going to be lacking, who is always going to be needing something, this is going to impact on how I feel. If that's how I see myself, then I might end up feeling a little bit sad. I might end up feeling a little bit anxious or, or oppressed or, or disappointed or restrained or fatigued, and, and that in turn will impact what I do. Right, Because I'm feeling so sad and restrained and fatigued, I'm, I'm not going to be, be able to do everything that I want to do. Maybe I'll start getting anxious and, and I'll, I'll start studying every hour of the night. Right, Man, God, I, I can't pass my exams. I'm not going to pass. I'm anxious about what I'm going through. I need to study at all times. And I end up just dedicating my life to trying to pass something when really, if we're honest, I would be better off putting in good quality study, study rather than a high quantity of study. Right, maybe, maybe what happens is the way that we think impacts our mindsets and our beliefs, and then this impacts how we behave, and this impacts how we feel. And then in turn, how we feel impacts how we think, and the cycle continues, and we're stuck in this place of believing that we can't make it, that we're less than we should be, that we're always going to struggle, that we're always going to want, that we'll never make it through, and we're just trying to get through. See, if we only think that God will ever give us mana, we'll only ever behave like we need mana. 
If we only ever think that God will give us just enough to get by, that we'll only just make it through our situation, that we'll only just survive, that we won't thrive, that we won't do well, that we're not going to change the world. We're not going to dream dreams that require the bread of life. We're going to dream dreams that require mana. We're going to start thinking, man, I just, I just need to get by in life. All God's going to give me is mana. All God's going to offer me is mana. So, so maybe I'll dream a smaller dream. Maybe I'll hope a smaller hope. Maybe I'll just try and get through life and hope that at the end I get to meet Jesus. Maybe I won't believe that Jesus has life for me now, just resurrection afterwards. See, we'll never dream big dreams. We'll never take big risks. We'll never change the world if we're struggling to survive because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We're always in lack. We're always distressed. We're always wanting for more. See, just as I get the band up, some of you will know um, my wife, Emma. That's her there. She's very pretty, right? Uh, she just on Monday, she passed the oral defense of her PhD, right? Which is a pretty big, pretty big thing. You can give her a clap if you want. You don't have to. I mean, I'm not, there's no pressure or anything. But thank you, because that just got me a lot of brownie points. So thank you for that. I much, much appreciate it. Right, but so here Emma's, she's just finished her, her old defense with a PhD. What that means, if you're not entrenched in postgraduate life like I am, is um, she got her PhD, right? She passed. She did uh, three or four years of work. I can't remember. It's been a long time, right? She worked on it for a very long time, did a lot of writing. I read it all. It was really long. I didn't understand most of it. But uh, she finally finished. She handed it in. People read it, and they went, yeah, now this makes sense. You're, um, you're pretty smart. Uh, welcome, Dr. Emma, right? And they shook her hand, and they shook her out to lunch. It was great. But, but this is fantastic, right? This is great in of itself. But did you know that at the same time as Em was doing that, she was also in an internship program, right? And so what that meant is that this year she finished her PhD and she worked full-time and she had classes. I just got louder. It's because it got exciting, right? So at the same time she was doing all of this and the whole time she was doing this, she was at church, the whole time she was working on this, she was, she was serving. She was in the creative team. She was in the youth team. She was meeting people for coffees. And she was married to me. And I am a fully grown adult baby, right? I can't take care of nothing. This does not happen on accident. This takes a lot of hard work. Not much from me, a lot from Emma, right? I don't know how to tie my shoelaces. No, I do. But I learned when I was 14 because I'm special. And, and I'd learned how to tell time when I was 19. That's right. Special Jono. But the whole time she's doing this, she's doing far more than she should. It doesn't make sense. No one would walk up to you and say, do you know what your plan for the year should be? Do a PhD, right? The height of academic achievement. The biggest thing that you can do within university. Do that. At the same time, be a part of, of a program where you're working as a clinical psychologist every day of the week. At the same time, have one day a week where you have to have classes, right? At the same time as doing that, be married to a very inept man. At the same time as doing that, serve in church. Come along to church every Sunday. Be a part of the creative team. Be a part of the youth team. Keep on meeting people for coffees. Keep on loving people. Keep on pouring yourself out. See, and the reason that I tell you this isn't, isn't to toot my own horn because I didn't do it, right? It's, it's not to, to, to make Emma seem amazing, although she's incredible, right? But it's to encourage you that, see, for me, what happened for me is, I don't know about you, I don't know if you're a student here, I don't know if you're working, I don't know where you're at, but I don't know if you've had one of those years where you just went, man, God, I need to pull back. I need to stop. Church is a big deal. I can't 
handle going to church every Sunday. I definitely can't serve in a team. I know I had that when I was at uni. I had this moment where I was like, God, this is hard. I've got labs. I've got stuff going on. I need to pull back. I need to, I need to stop. I need to step back from what I'm doing. And, and the times that I can see when I was far less busy, far less busy than, than M was this year, I pulled back and I stopped going to church. Right? And in fact, actually, this happened to M. In M's second year, she just got overwhelmed. Right? She was like, man, this is hard. This isn't like first year. They're really actually examining you now. They mark your assignments properly. They don't just stamp them with an A. Right? And so she pulled back from church. She stopped being in teams. She stopped attending as much. It became a periphery in her life. Right? But see, in that moment, her grades dropped. Maybe it's a coincidence that when she stepped back from church, when she invested herself more into studying, her grades dropped. But I know for me, when I pulled back, my prayers dropped off. Right? When I pulled back from my involvement in church, when I pulled back from what I was doing, I stopped needing to believe God that I was going to ace my studies, serve in church, work a part-time job, and date an awesome lady. Now I was believing for less. Now I was believing for something easier, for something that I could do. And so I didn't need to pray for the bread of life. I could settle for mana. I could settle for less. I could settle for just getting by because I had enough strength on my own to do it all. It just isn't a side. This, this isn't a sermon telling you to be stupid with your time. This isn't a sermon telling you, man, if you've got exams coming up, you need to not study for them at all and be at church every day. This isn't that. But, but what I'm saying is, is that maybe there's a space where we can invest into God and He pours out blessing on us. See, and for some of you, you're actually invested too much in church. For some of you, serving is a way of avoiding the responsibilities that you have at university. Serving is a way of avoiding exams, and I'm, I'm not advocating that. For some of us, we need to learn how to honor God in our studies. We need to learn how to believe to do well in uni, not to just pass. We need to believe, we need to learn what it is to, to, to push out into life. But what I'm asking tonight is where are Peter's words touching down? Live an exemplary life so that your actions will refute people's prejudices, so that they will be won over to God's side and be there to join in the celebration when He arrives. See, tonight our lives tell a story. And it's easy for that story to be, I'm just getting by on this mana. I'm just getting by until God comes back. I'm just waiting for the resurrection. But they could tell a different story. They could tell a story that says, I'm thriving on the bread of life. I'm living an eternal life here and now. I found Jesus and I found resurrection and I found life. I'm thriving and I'm not thriving in my strength. I'm not thriving in my ability, but I've placed myself in a position where every day I have to rely on Jesus to be the bread of life, to deliver to me what I need that I'm not operating in my strength, that I'm not operating in my ability, but I'm asking God, help me today because where I am, I can't do it without you. See, tonight, tonight you might be here and some part of your life is dead. Right, some part of your life you know is just existing till the end. Something in you has died, a dream, a hope, a destiny, a purpose, a confidence, something in you is shriveled. 
tonight, I think God wants to resurrect it. So you might be here and you might have been a Christian a long time, but you know that you don't have life in you. You don't have the life in you that you read about in the Bible, that you're just bones and skin. You need the breath of God in you, that you're getting by on mana and you need life. See, tonight, do you need to expand what you're believing in God for? Because the biggest struggle of Christianity always has been and always will be idolatry. There's somewhere in our life we stopped treating God as God and we started treating something else. That somewhere in life I said, God, I, I don't think you're doing a great job as my God here. Let me be God for a while. And then we started praying prayers for mana. We started praying small prayers, shriveled prayers, scared prayers. Because that's all we could believe for. That's all we could imagine happening. Because all we wanted was mana. See, tonight you might be here and the first thing you need to do is start dreaming, Brigitte. Start dreaming for more. Start praying, God, resurrect my dreams. Bring them back from death. Let me dream a bigger dream. Let me dream for more so that I can rely on you for what is impossible in my strength. So that I can rely on you for what I could never do on my own. See, tonight, why not step out? Why not believe that Jesus has what He says He has for you? That there is life and life abundantly, that it's not just about getting out of jail at the end, that it's not just about getting into heaven, but it's about living a life that matters now. That eternal life could start now, but the only way eternal life starts today is by asking God daily for the bread of life. See, why don't you stand with me?